but I still get to rest in peace at the end of the day. It's the grace of Jesus. If peace is what you want, then grace is how you get it. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Uh, If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke. I get to serve here as one of the ministers at Plainfield Christian Church. We love being together. We're glad you're here. Uh, If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us, and we hope to meet you in person soon. Um, I'd like to do things a little backwardly today, if that's all right. Um, I'm going to start things with the invitation, okay? We're going to start with the invitation because uh, for this whole six-week series we're in called Made New, we're just talking about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And the gospel is not just something we hear. The gospel always demands a response from us. So I wanna just lay that on the table in front of you today, if that's all right. Last week, we gave you two challenges for how we want you to respond to the good news of Jesus. Challenge number one is that we want you to read the book of Romans. This letter that Paul wrote to this church in Rome, we want you to read it on your own. I don't care how many times you read it. I don't care at what pace you read it. But at some point on your own over this six weeks period, read the book of Romans because I believe that if you do with a posture of openness and humility, you will be changed. That is challenge number one. And here's challenge number two that we gave you last week. I want you to let the gospel move you. Uh, Let the gospel move you wherever you are in your faith journey. There's a next step that God is wanting you to take. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. You don't even remember before following Jesus. You've put your faith in him. You've been baptized. But the challenge is still to let the gospel move you. At the very least, to let it move you to deeper and deeper gratitude and worship every single day for what God has done. But maybe you're here and you're brand new on your faith journey. There's a lot of big words being thrown around at church and you don't totally get it. And and maybe your first step is to just uh, ask somebody some questions about it or to say, yes, I do believe this and I'm I'm ready to be baptized as as, as a symbol that I'm I'm jumping in to follow Jesus. Or maybe maybe you've believed in what Jesus has done for you. You believe that it's true, but you've never taken that step to surrender in baptism, to die and be born again in Jesus Christ. Christ as a fully committed follower of him. Maybe you were baptized because your grandma wanted you to do it as a kid and you didn't understand it. You were baptized as a baby, whatever it was. We have a baptism Sunday coming up on August the 21st here in this series. And if you've been thinking about being baptized for a long time, you just didn't know when or how to get the conversation started and do it, August 21st would be a great time. Um, at the end of every service here and after the services, there's a prayer team that gathers around the perimeter of this room. They've got green lanyards on. Anytime, go find those people with green lanyards. If you're ready to take a next step, if you just need somebody to pray over you, you, whatever it is. But if you're ready to say, hey, I'm jumping in, you can go talk to them or for you in the room and for those of you watching online, you can always go to our website, click on the baptism tab. We will do this. Like, listen, we baptize people all day, any day, every day, middle of the night. I don't care when it is. We'll dunk it, right? Because we believe that this is so hugely important to die and to be born again with Jesus Christ. But we do have these specific times that come throughout the year, baptism Sundays, where we put extra emphasis on it. So if that's you, I know there's some of you today who need to make that call. And if that's you, do it. Wherever you are today, let the gospel move you, okay? All right, that's the invitation. We're done. You don't have to hear it at the end of the sermon now. We're getting ready to dive into God's word, though. Would you join me in prayer as we begin? God, we just sang the words, and they are true. You are so good. And so, Father, as we uh, dive deeper into your goodness today. My prayer for me, my prayer for my brothers and sisters is that the good news of Jesus would fall on our hearts afresh and that we would fall in love with you and that you would move us. 
We love you. We're so grateful to get to gather here as your people and to get to hear from you through your word, through your spirit, and through one another. And it's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen, amen. I would like to make the case today that peace is what you want. That peace is what you want. Now, I, I read somewhere this week that children between the ages of two and four fight on average about 6.2 times per hour. It's not a joke. Actual scientific study. Now listen, I've got two kids who fall in that age bracket between two and four in my house right now. I think it's a conservative estimate. Yeah, I, I do. Some of you have got kids or grandkids, you know what I mean. 6.2, if we take 6.2 fights per hour, that's 90 fights per day. That's 3,000 fights over the course of a year. And if you're hanging out with little kids very often, you feel like, I, I feel like most of the time, half the time at least, you're like, I should be wearing a striped shirt with a whistle right now because all I am is a referee. And at the end of every day with little kids, you're like, peace is what I want, Right? And yet at a deeper level, I think peace is what all of us want. Wherever you are in your life this morning, whether you're already looking forward to fall vacation and where you're gonna go or whether you haven't quite landed on that career that you want yet, you're still dreaming about your dream job or you're dreaming about your forever house or you're looking at the calendar and you've only got that many more years till retirement, you're almost there. Whatever the thing is that you're shooting for, I'd like to make the case that peace is what you want. Uh, physical peace, yes. Uh, relational peace, Yes, of course, but, but at an even deeper, more existential level, this deep spiritual peace. Uh, the Jews called it shalom, shalom, just this sense that, that everything is good, complete wholeness, that, that all is well. When I look around my life, there's justice and there's love and there's equality and there's goodness in every area of my life. Shalom, all is well. I think peace is what you want, because peace is what I want. Peace is what everybody wants. And, and, and you look around the world, you see people chasing peace in a lot of different ways. If you've seen the old movie, uh, Chariots of Fire, you, you might remember the runner, the sprinter, Harold Abrahams, who said, man, I, I spend my whole life chasing, and I don't even know what I'm chasing. And as he's getting ready to race there in the Olympics, he said, I will raise my eyes, and I will look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. What's he chasing? He's chasing peace, right? Um, the world-renowned theologian um, Rocky Balboa one time uh, <laughs> said it like this. You, know, you remember like the first four Rocky movies that were actually good before all those others, right? But, but in the very first Rocky movie, before he fights Apollo Creed for the first time, what does he say? You know, he's, Rocky's talking to Adrian. He says, all I want to do is go the distance. I can't do the accent, I'm not even gonna try, but all, all I wanna do is go the distance. He says, because if that bell rings and I'm still standing, I'm gonna know for the first time in my life that I wasn't just another bum from the neighborhood. What's that runner saying? What is Rocky saying? He's saying, I want my life to count. I want my life to mean something. I wanna know at the end of the day that I have worth, that I have value, that I, that I did something, that I'm accepted, that I'm validated. I want peace. Peace is what you want. That kind of peace is what I want too. And, and so we spend our lives trying to get that peace. And, and, and you look around, you see people chasing it in a whole lot of different ways, whether you try to earn your peace by achieving in your career or uh, having a close-knit family or having successful kids and grandkids, having a good marriage or, or making the world a better place or serving or giving a whole bunch of money away or having a fat retirement account or, or being a helpful person or knowing a lot of stuff or doing a lot of really cool stuff on your bucket list. And, and whatever it is, those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But even good things can become destructive things when we look to good things 
as ultimate things. I don't know if that makes sense, but, but when you expect those things to give you the peace that only God can give, they'll let you down every single time, won't they? And, and, and so if you chase peace through those good things, you'll spend your life subconsciously saying, well, just one more, right? Just one more trip, just one more big break, just, just one more compliment, one more raise, one more promotion, one more pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and then I'll be good. And before we start judging, like, let's just acknowledge that performance-based peace doesn't just happen out there. It happens in here, too. It can really be easy to do it with checklist religion, which is why if peace is what you want today, then Romans chapter 5 is really good news for you. Now, if you've got your Bibles, open them up with me to Romans chapter five. We're in this series right now called Made New, where we're walking through this letter written by a guy named Paul to a church in the ancient city of Rome. And Paul just kind of explores the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done for us and how Jesus makes us new. And he uses some really big fancy Bible words like justification. We talked about that last week, being made right in the sight of God. And here today in Romans chapter five, Paul says that if peace is what you want, then grace is how you get it. That, yeah, peace is what you want, and grace is how you get it. Now, if you would have walked into the ancient city of Rome and said that, and said, peace is what you want, the, the Roman citizens on the street, even, even Caesar himself would have said, well, yeah, duh, of course. Yeah, we, we want peace with the gods. We want, we want peace around us. We want, we want peace with each other. Believe it or not, peace was actually the underlying value of the whole Roman culture. They called it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You might remember that from from ancient history class, the peace of Rome. Rome wanted to bring peace and stability to everything that was under its control. And the way that Rome would obtain and maintain the peace, the Pax Romana, was by smashing anything that threatened it. It was a peace that was achieved and maintained through violence and power and corruption, coercion, and this is the way the world, isn't it? Like the schools you go to and, and, and the governments you listen to and the Fortune 500 companies that send out their podcasts and TED Talks and, the, and the, the societal storytellers of our day will tell us that to get the peace you want, you gotta do it through power, you gotta do it through achievement, you gotta do it through influence. But Paul says here in Romans chapter five that actually peace is what you want and grace is how you get it. That if we want this Wholeness, this shalom that all is well, the only way that happens is through Jesus. Take a look at verse one. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, that was last week, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Peace, Paul says, comes through grace. That your, your justification, your shalom, the all is wellness, that has nothing to do with your own merit. In fact, the more you try to earn it, the more you will miss it. And, and it doesn't even depend on the amount of your faith. It's not like whether you have big faith or little faith. It's not the amount of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith that matters. That when your faith is put on the finished work of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished in his death and resurrection, when you throw yourself on his mercy, when you rely on his strength, when you marvel at his goodness, that's where your peace is found. Peace through grace. 
That's why Paul begins a whole lot of his letters, if you've read through the New Testament, he begins a whole lot of his letters with this same little gospel catchphrase over and over and over again. He says, grace and peace, grace and peace. That's the gospel in a nutshell. He begins this letter like that too, Romans chapter one, verse seven. He says, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news. The peace is available, that what you're looking for is out there and it's free. Um, when, when I graduated from college, I had the amazing gift of being able to graduate without any student loans. I was, I was debt-free when I came out of college. It was a, a great way to get kind of started off in life. And, and I'd love to sit up here and tell you today that, that I was debt-free because I got to go to college for free. And that I got to go to college for free because I came out of high school with the highest GPA and I was a really accomplished student and all the colleges were kind of just competing for my attention and that they all wanted me and that they all saw how talented I was and the limitless potential that I had. And so they were all jockeying for position. They said, we want that guy, whatever it takes, we're, we're gonna go get him. I'd love to tell you that that's why I went to college for free, but that would be a big fat lie. So I'm not gonna tell you that, right? Because none of that stuff was true. I went to college for free, not because of the great resume that I had. I went to college for free because my dad happened to be the president of the college that I went to. <laughs> and so I got, I got to graduate debt-free, not because of how good I was, because of how good he was, right? It was his position, not mine, that mattered. And the same thing is true with us, Paul says, with, with justification. You get good standing with God. You get to be debt-free in the sight of God. You get reconciliation that your spiritual books are balanced, not because of how good you are, but because of how good your father is. Peace is what you want. Grace is how you get it, Paul says. Grace, therefore, peace. And so Paul says that through faith in Jesus, he says we gain access into this grace in which we now stand. You get to stand in grace. You never have to move on from grace. You get to live there. Um, when I was a kid, one summer I went to this VBS, this vacation Bible school at a little church down the road from where I grew up. And uh, this sweet, wonderful, godly, I'm sure she was pure-hearted, little old lady, was, was, was teaching our class and I remember it like it was yesterday. She came in and I'm telling you, she dropped a theological stink bomb on this room full of eight-year-olds. And it, it kind of wrecked me for a few years. And then she walked in and she was talking about sin and she's talking about salvation. And she said, well, like when she had this whiteboard, she said, when you sin, it's like, it's like a check mark goes up on the whiteboard. Yeah, you, you tell a lie, there, there's, there's a check mark there and, and you disobey your parents and there's a check mark there and, and sin after sin after sin, check mark after check mark after check mark. But then she says, you ask God to forgive you and you trust in Jesus and, and all of it gets erased. Cool, awesome. I was eight years old. I'd just gotten baptized the year before. Awesome, I'm following Jesus. That sounds good. But she said, but you know, we keep following Jesus and we're not perfect. So, so you sin some more. And it's like some more check marks go up there. You get jealous of your friend, check. And, and you cheat on a test in school, Check, but then you ask God to forgive you again and then he erases the check marks. And this is where little second grade Luke's like mind went haywire. Because at that point I'm thinking, oh no. Yeah, I'm, I got baptized, I'm a follower of Jesus, but last week when my sister lost her tooth, I stole the dollar from under her pillow and I don't think I asked God to forgive me yet. Like, what if that check mark's not erased and I get hit by a car on the way home and I just, what if I've still got a check mark on my board? I'm sunk. And no, 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 Paul says, no, no, no. You get to stand in grace. 
that when you place your trust in Jesus Christ and you are justified by grace through faith in him, he doesn't just forgive your past sins. He doesn't even just forgive your present sins. He forgives all of your future sins too. You get to stand in grace now once and for all. That God's grace is where you live. God's grace is your spiritual address. That God's grace is not this kind of one-time event that you could just kind of have to keep coming back to over and over and over again every time you mess up. But that God's grace is this overwhelming, continual, present reality that you just get to soak in. That grace becomes the background music of your life. That grace becomes the theme of my story. And grace becomes the the melody of my song. And it's the grace of Jesus that wakes me up in the morning and gives me the confidence to face the day. And it's the grace of Jesus that allows me to lay my head down on the pillow at night, knowing everything that I messed up, but I still get to rest in peace at the end of the day. It's the grace of Jesus. If peace is what you want, Paul says, then grace is how you get it. The Barnard Research Group is this big Christian research company, and they did a massive study not too long ago And they found that over the last couple years, there was only one group whose anxiety level decreased over the pandemic. Only one group that's anxiety level went down. You wanna know what the group was? It was people who went to church every week. Why is that? You know, it's not a legalistic thing. Why, Why did the church's anxiety level go down when everybody else's went up? And I think it's because at the end of the day, even when our societal apple cart got flipped over and even when all of our normal metrics of success were thrown out the window, when everything else was in upheaval, the people of God came together every week to be reminded that they have peace with God. They're justified by grace through faith, that we can be at rest in peace. One of my mentors says that he wants his epitaph on his tombstone to be, as in life, so now in death at rest in peace by grace through faith. If you're still around when I die, you can chisel that on mine too. Grace and peace, Paul says. Now in this whole series together for these six weeks, we're, we're talking about the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us to save you, to save the world. And Paul's theme verse, we said last week, for this whole letter to the Romans is Romans 1.16, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. I hope that's true of you and me as well, that we're not ashamed of the good news of what Jesus has done for us. And so we're kind of just turning the gospel like a diamond to look at the light reflecting off its various facets. And so last week we talked about this big Bible word called justification, that God makes us right in his sight when we trust in his son Jesus, that God pours out his wrath on our sin, but he pours it out on his son instead of on us so that God is both just and justifier. That's a beautiful thing, justification. But now, here in Romans chapter five, Paul starts exploring some of the benefits of justification that we receive as followers of Jesus. And one of them, Paul says, is reconciliation. That's our big word for the day, reconciliation. And I think you know what reconciliation is, right? It's, it's the mending of a broken relationship. And Paul says that through faith in Jesus, we get reconciled, we have peace with God, that our sin broke the relationship between us and him, but that Jesus can restore it. We get reconciliation. There's something really incredible, though, in this little section, Romans chapter five, verses one through 11, and it's called a chiasm. Can you say that with me? Say chiasm. 
chiasm. Now, now listen, I know exactly what you're thinking at this moment. I know that you are sitting there. I saw you just scoot onto the edge of your seats thinking, yes, I cannot wait to learn about ancient Greek grammatical structure. And yes, I've been coming to church for years longing for somebody to talk about chiasms and today is finally the day. Congratulations, right? Bear with me. There is a payoff at the end, okay? Here, here's a chiasm. Watch what Paul does here as he highlights the benefits of reconciliation in these 11 verses. First, Paul starts with peace. Verses one and two, we read it earlier. Paul says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Then Paul moves from peace to hope. Verses two through five, Paul says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Some of you are in a season of suffering right now. You're in a season of pain. If that's you, man, don't, don't lose hold of hope. Paul says, because you have peace with God, you also can have hope that he's using your pain to strengthen your character and that someday he's gonna bring you through to the day of glory when all things will be restored and every longing of your heart will be satisfied. Don't lose hope. He goes from peace to hope and then Paul says he moves to love. Look at verses five through eight. Paul says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Paul says, hey, you wanna know the way that you can be confident God's not gonna do a bait and switch on you, that hope is not a fairy tale? He says God's proving that you can have hope by giving you love. That one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in your life as you follow Jesus is to just remind you deep down in your core of how much God loves you. And just how much does God love you? Paul says, you see, at just the right time, While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You've heard this a million times before, but imagine that you haven't. Imagine that you're hearing this for the very first time. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Wow. And you, you, you guys know this. You've been in relationships with a spouse or a friend or whatever. When, when you have conflict in a relationship and the relationship is kind of severed, broken, there's some distance growing, in order for that relationship to be healed, one of you has to swallow your pride and make the first move, right? Some of you are in broken relationships right now and and you need to be the one to swallow your pride and to make the first move. And Paul's saying that while you and I were still in rebellion against God, while we were still his enemies, God didn't wait for us to make the first move. He made the first move. He sent Jesus to die for us. That's the gospel of reconciliation. You didn't find God He found you. Jesus Jesus didn't just command you to love your enemies. He didn't just preach at us about doing good to the people who hate you. He did it himself for us. 
He took the nails. He was whipped. He was beaten. He was, he, was, he was nailed to a cross. He was suffocated for you before you ever even knew that you needed him. Listen, you don't have to be good to try to earn God's love so that someday he'll shower you with his affection. No, God has already loved you first before you ever did anything. Listen, I mean this from the bottom of my heart, y'all. I love you. Man, I really do. I love this church. I, I like you. I love you. But if it came down to you or my son, like if, if I had to give up my son for you, I wouldn't do it. I've got three sons. I could give one up and still have two spares. And there's some days that doesn't sound bad. <laughs> but, but I still wouldn't do it. I don't love you that much. But God does. He loves you. Paul moves from peace to hope to God's love is at the very center of this chiasm. I know you're loving this chiasm thing. Hang with me. You're on the edge of your seats, I can tell, right? And then Paul starts to back it up. He goes, peace, hope to love. And then he goes back to hope here. Verses nine and 10, he says, since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? In other words, if you sometimes are losing hope, if you doubt that God is actually gonna keep his promises and bring you through to eternal life with him, listen, if when you were God's enemy, he sent his son to save you, now that you're his child, can't you trust him to finish the job? He goes from peace to hope to love, back to hope, and now Paul ends it. He bookends the whole thing with peace. Verse 11, Paul says, not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation, relational peace, shalom, that you can know that at the end of the day, all is well. Me and God, we're, we're good. Peace. Peace is what I wanted and grace is how I got it, Paul says. So I'm gonna boast, I'm not gonna boast in myself, I got nothing to brag about, but I'm gonna brag on a good God all day long. Now, listen, at this church we talk about the gospel every week, we're always gonna talk about the gospel every week because the good news of Jesus is always what you need most, it's what I need most, it's what the whole world needs most. And I want you to know the gospel in your head. I want you to know it, I want you to believe it, I want you to think that it is true. That what God has done by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die, to rise again, that he is alive today and that one day he will return as the king of the universe and make all things new. That that is always the good news that the world needs most and that he can make you right with him because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you do. That's the gospel. And I want you to know that because it's objectively true whether or not you feel it. Like when you're walking around in your house in the middle of the night and it's dark and you stub your toe on that chair. That chair was there the whole time whether you saw it or not, right? Objectively. Same thing's true about the gospel. It is objectively true whether you feel it or not. And yet, Jesus doesn't just want you to acknowledge with your head that yes, you believe that and think that it's true. He also wants you to trust him. He wants you to rest in him. He wants your heart. 
And so let's dial it in because this whole chiasm thing, if God's love was really at the center of that chiasm, that means the point of this whole reconciliation thing is that the Holy Spirit would pour God's love into your hearts, that you would know, that you would feel how much God loves you. So if that's the point, then what happens when you don't? Right, like what happens when you believe it up here but you just don't feel it in here? Because I think all of us have this gap sometimes between what we know to be true about God and what we actually experience from God. Like man, we know this, right? It's only 15 inches from the head to the heart but sometimes it feels like a million miles. And you can acknowledge in your head that yes, peace is what I want, grace is how I got it, it comes through Jesus by grace through faith and yet you can still doubt the emotional reality of reconciliation, that you and God are good. If that's you, I have two challenges for you today. Here's challenge number one. Let God's opinion of you define you. Let God's opinion of you define you. I'd love to have the time to just ask every one of you today, like how, how would you define yourself? I'd be curious to hear what you said. Maybe you'd say, I'm a mom, I'm a teacher, I'm a grandma, I'm Retired from Lily, I, I'm, I'm Plainfield through and through. I'm, I'm a husband, I'm, I'm a golfer, whatever it is. I'm a Reds fan, may God have mercy on your soul. Um, if you ask me who I am today, I'd tell you, you know what? I love being a husband. I love being a dad. I love getting to be a preacher. But at the end of those day, at the end of the day, all those things are actually gonna be stripped away from me. None of those things are forever. And so if I'm looking to those identities to give me peace, they're gonna let me down every single time. So the challenge for all of us is to let God's opinion of you define you, which then begs the question, what's God's opinion of you? Let God's opinion of you define you. And number two is, let Christ's death define God's opinion of you. If you wonder how God feels about you, Look at the cross. Paul says God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you. You are one whom God loves. That's who you are. I love the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John and some other books in the Bible. And, 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 and when he refers to himself, he doesn't say me, he doesn't say I, he doesn't even say John. He refers to the one Jesus loved. A little arrogant, maybe, but... <laughs> He could have called himself a lot of things. He could have, said, could have said, I'm John, I'm the brother of James, I'm the son of Zebedee, I'm a, I'm a son of thunder, I'm an apostle, I'm a disciple, I'm a writer of scripture, I'm a leader of the early church. But he says, no, 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 no. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm one Jesus loves. So are you. And here's the deal. If, if you believe that, if you believe that God loves you, but you don't let it define you, then the good news, the gospel, will be something that you leave in church and you don't take home with you. And it will have no bearing on how you actually live. So you will still keep chasing peace in all these other areas. And you will never find the peace you're looking for. Or if you say, yes, I will let God's opinion of me define me. But I don't actually believe that God loves me. You think he might be mad at you. You think he might be out to get you. You think he might be disappointed in who you've become. Well, then you're going to spend your whole life scared and afraid and racked by guilt and shame and hiding from the people who try to love you and trying to avoid moments where you're quiet and alone with your own thoughts and alone with God and alone with your own soul because you're scared about what he might say and you will never find the peace that you seek. Let God's opinion of you define you and let Christ's death define God's opinion of you. 
Because when those doubts start to creep into your heart, man, like when, when your body starts to fail or your bank account starts to dwindle and the enemy whispers, does God really love you? Or when family is tough and you've got relationships that are complicated and broken and God starts to whisper, does God really love you? And when, when your sin and your anxiety and your stress and your anger and your jealousy and your weariness robs you of the rest and the peace that you want and the enemy whispers, does God really love you? You can point to the cross and you can say, yes. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> Um, in, in the early church, in the fourth century AD, the two major theologians of their day were Augustine and his theological opponent, Pelagius. Now, this may sound like a nerd story. It is. Bear with me, okay? Then Augustine and Pelagius were kind of a study in contrast. So on the one hand, Pelagius was, was really charismatic. He was really likable. Everybody wanted to be around Pelagius. If you're going to a party, you want to go to a Pelagius party. He's the guy you want to hang out with. People like Pelagius. Augustine, on the other hand, his life was a train wreck. He was a hot mess. He squandered away his, his youthful years in wild living. He had a child with his mistress. He had this weird kind of strange relationship with his mother. He made all kinds of enemies. Augustine was not always a particularly likable person. Now, theologically, on the one hand, Pelagius believed that we as human beings have what it takes to grow past our sin. That we can actually work and, and achieve the peace that God made us for. We can kind of earn it a little bit. And Augustine, on the other hand, looked around at his disaster of a life. He said, no, <laughs> I'm a train wreck. I don't have what it takes. I, I can't do it. If, if I have any hope for peace, if I have any hope of being saved, God's got to do it because I can't. And so Pelagius spent his life working to please God. And Augustine spent his life throwing himself on the mercy of Jesus and saying, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And at the end of the day, Pelagius was condemned as a heretic and Augustine's the most influential theologian who's ever lived since the church. And, and, and I think a lot of us are, we're Augustinian in theory We'd say, yeah, sure, I, I, I need God, I can't do it, justified by grace through faith. But we're Pelagian in practice. You spend our lives scurrying around, working hard, trying to, trying to scramble around and, and work harder and, and do better and be better and driven by our guilt and our obsessive attempts to try to fix our own problems and mend our own relationships and, and earn our own peace, but it will never work. Because Jesus says in John 14, 27, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Jesus says, I do not give as the world gives. The world promises you a lot of ways to peace. Come listen to this thing, do this thing, listen to this person, learn that thing, accomplish that thing. And listen, there's a lot of fun stuff that the world offers. There's a lot of smart, good people that you can listen to and learn some things from. But, but Augustine actually wrote later on in his life, he said, listen, I've read many wonderful things in the world I've read many wonderful things in Plato and Cicero, but none of them had the audacity to say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. But that's what Jesus says to you today, my friend. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come to him. Man, some of y'all are exhausted 
because you're looking everywhere else. You're looking at work and relationships and success and religion, trying to find peace. But Jesus just says, hey, come to me. Isn't that amazing? The one who knows everything about you says, come. Man, the, the one who took every one of your deepest, darkest secrets to the cross and he cast those sins into hell. He says, come here. The king of the universe who right now sits on the throne of heaven, reigning over everything, says, come here. There's a preacher um, by the name of Alistair Begg who used the illustration of the thief on the cross. You might remember that when Jesus died on the cross, there were two criminals who were crucified on either side of him. And, and the gospels tell us that at one point, both of them were throwing insults at Jesus and, and mocking him. But eventually, we don't really know why, one of the thieves changed his mind. Luke 23 says this. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, him being Jesus, and said, aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him and said, don't you fear God? Since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our sins deserve. But, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now imagine later on that day when that thief arrives in paradise. Just imagine what that must have been like. When that robber stands before God, what does he have to show for himself? I mean, he doesn't have a good Christian testimony. <laughs> He's lived a life of rebellion. He's a hardened criminal. He was executed for his wickedness and his crimes. He doesn't have any kind of a legacy of service to God. He wasn't born into the right family. He doesn't know all the words to the songs in church. Who knows if he's ever darkened the door of a synagogue before? I mean, he couldn't give you a, a theological statement about the atoning death of God's son for the sins of the world. Man, he, he doesn't have a long list of spiritual achievements. He doesn't have a a long and healthy prayer life. He can't tell you about the theological realities about how Jesus Christ, God's son, was fully God and fully man. He can't say any of that. When that thief stands before God, what is his only hope for eternal peace? When God says, why in the world should I let you in here? What does the thief say? He says, that man on the middle cross said I could come. The man on the middle cross said I could come. Listen, peace is what we want and grace is how we get it. And God's opinion of you has been once and forever chiseled into the stone that was rolled away from the entrance to that empty tomb. So that someday when you and I stand before God, our only plea is that the man on that middle cross said we could come. And some of you need to come. Let's pray. 